That's appropriate to say amen at the end of that. Oh boy. 62, chapter 62, it is lit up. I hope you are. I know I am. Um, Before we dive into the text this morning, if you are with us this morning, you're a guest this morning, or perhaps you're somewhat new to Trinity this morning, um, we would like to invite you to our house after the service this morning. Um, we are be, we'll be having pizza and salad, and that is for folks that are new to Trinity. You would like to connect with some other new folks. Um, some of our elders will be there. You are welcome to come. You can see my wife. She's sitting here on the front row, or myself. Um, we'll give you an address. It's about five minutes away. We'd love to have you for lunch today. All right. Isaiah chapter 62, imagine the excitement for Isaiah. Did you, did you hear the words that Rick just read? For Zion's sake, this is the Lord's voice through the voice of Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet Like a racehorse out of the gate, the gates open and he explodes onto the field. Here's what's going on in Isaiah chapter 62. The Lord himself is rejoicing over Zion and Zion is being called into the joy of what the Lord is doing in them, through them. For us, This morning, for us, we look back to what the Lord has done and we look forward to what the Lord is yet to do. We look back to he came. This is the joy of the Lord that he would come and redeem his people. And we look forward to the day when he will come again for his bride, the church. That's what Isaiah is unpacking in this this passage. But the context, like on the ground context, is that the people are literally crushed under persecution. They are exiles in Babylon. Jerusalem, their home, back home, it's been sacked. God's people are despairing. There is no no sense of circumstantially joy for them to be celebrating There is no salvation going out from her like a burning torch is what it says here in verse one. And yet, and yet there is. The nations are not looking to Israel and thinking, wow, burning torch, look at them. Let's let's join up with them. No, they're, they're in exile. Scripture has a tone to it. There's a tone. When you're you're reading your Bible and you're studying your Bible, look for the tone of the Scripture. It'll help you interpret Scripture. This passage has a certain tone to it. Said it a couple times over the last few weeks. Don't bring your funeral voice to the wedding. This is the wedding. 
Literally, he's going to speak about in marriage terms. This is, this is the wedding. He's not bringing his funeral voice to the wedding. He is bringing his celebrant. I cannot be silent. I cannot be quiet. Joy. And you'll hear why in a moment. I haven't prayed yet. I know that. It's on purpose. I'm getting there. In the face of their opposition, right in the middle of their exile, I can't be silent. That's the Lord's voice through Isaiah. And Isaiah is calling the people of God to delight in God. Here's why. You ready? Why are they, gonna, why are they being called to delight in God? Because God is delighting in his people. For Zion's sake. Are we a Zion's sake church? What do I mean by that? I mean, in the face of the opposition, in the middle of the suffering, right there in the circumstances, in the face of the opposition of the surrounding peoples of the nations who are not looking to them as the burning torch, do we delight in him because he is delighting in us? Here's the big idea of the text. Delight in God as God delights in you. It's really just that simple. I don't need to make it long and difficult. It's that simple. So let's pray. God, would you help us? Oh, Lord, would you help us? Help us to even just get the tone of the text right this morning. Lord, help us to see the glory of you rejoicing in your exiled people and their exiled people because they are so wickedly sinful and unfaithful to you. And yet it's those people and it's us people today that we read of that you are delighting in. Oh Lord, let that be our delight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Number one, once desolate, now delighting. Again, verse one, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes before as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name. See, your name was desolate. You're being given a new name. It is delight. You should be called a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Let's pause there for a moment. Remember the, the, the wider context, the previous chapters, the, the people of God, they're, they're asking the question, are we forsaken? Has God left us? Has God forgotten us? Because remember back to chapter 58, like we're fasting here. We're fasting. We're, we're observing the, the Sabbath here. And yet, um, it's not doing us any good. Like we're not getting anything from God as we fast. And remember, as we unpacked that for a couple weeks, just that idea of they're doing what they're doing to manipulate God, to, to get something from God, as opposed to doing what they do to simply worship God because he is God. And we do that. 
We, ret- we turn our religious activity into some sort of how can we manipulate the hand of God? How can we, how can we do this to get something from God? The prosperity gospel lives in all of our hearts. There's a reason why it's popular. The flesh loves that stuff. God is not the genie in the bottle where we rub the lamp and he grants you three wishes. No, he's the creator of the universe. It's not not what can we religiously do to get something from God. It's, It's recognizing, my Lord, you've redeemed me. I throw myself at your feet and worship you. You're worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. And the gospel drops into real life, real suffering, real exile, real struggle, and it announces to them, to us, who you are in Christ. God delights in you, in you. should shock us. God delights in you. You who are in exile because you were unfaithful to him. Here in the text. Us who are unfaithful, who quickly and easily can turn from God or ignore God or forget God and then ask the question, God, have you forgotten me? No, he has not. The issue is not With God here, the issue has always been with God's people. And it's those people, it's the sinful people of God that we find here in the text. He's delighting in those people. It's not as if it's saying, look, now that you're in exile and you've cleaned yourselves all up, now I will delight in you. No, he delights in you and me. Not when we've got ourselves all put together, all cleaned up. Now we're worthy of his delight. No, he delights in you in the midst of who you and I are. In spite of us, he delights in us. You have been given a new name, it tells us in the text. Look at verse four. You shall no longer be termed forsaken. And your land shall no longer be termed desolate. Hear this. But you shall be called my delight is in her. And your land married. For the Lord delights in you. If you, if you highlight in your Bible, you should be hitting the word delight. And your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride like like that groom, so shall your God rejoice over you. Praise be to God. Right there in your exile. Their daily reminder, we are here because our rejection of God because of our pursuit of false gods, because of our pursuit of other idols. God is delighting in the midst of that. Isaiah's point is you are no longer defined by who you once were. I'm giving you a new name. 
You are no longer desolate. You are now delighting. This is the transformation of the Christian life. It's not a little tweaking here and there. It's not a little adjustment here and here, there. It is transformation through and through. That's why when we say, I'm a Christian, it should have teeth, right? Like that, that, that's, that's not just, I, 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 I was born in America. That's, I'm a follower of this man, Jesus Christ. I am Christian. I have been transformed. I've been bought by his blood. I have the spirit of God living in me. I've been given a new name. I am Christian. I've been given a new future. That's the transformation of the Christian life. And it's dramatic. It's a shining light. It's a burning torch, it says, among the nations. Paul will later on say it different, but it sounds like this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And it says in verse four, you will be a crown in the hand of the king, meaning the people of God will be a visible testimony to these surrounding nations. There'll be a visible testimony that he is the king and that you are the crown held in the king's hand. It's just a beautiful picture of him, his grasp on you. It's not that you're grasping onto God and hanging onto God, the king. It's that the king grasps you. You'll be given a new name, verse four. You'll be given a new status, verse four. You will no longer be desolate. You are delight. You are no longer forsaken. You are embraced. And then as we read, verse five is the language of marriage. It's a marriage covenant being communicated here where the bridegroom promises to his bride, I will remain faithful to you. I will not forsake you. I promise to love you and cherish you through thick and thin. And the groom is found here rejoicing over his bride. What a picture. Well, in the New Testament, the New Testament shows us that the church is the bride of Christ. It's prophesying of this day where the church will be the bride of Christ, where Christ will come and lay down his life for his bride. Ephesians 5. It's prophesying of a day when the groom will come and show himself to be the faithful bride that he is. We know in Hebrews 13, it tells us, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the groom to his church, his bride. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Never means never. He will never leave you or forsake you. And there's delight in that truth. There's delight found in those words. But that delight that you have flows out of the delight that God has in you. It's stunning news. Delight in the Lord because the Lord is delighting in you. Right there in the middle of the difficulty, 
right there in the middle of the exile, right there in the middle of whatever it is you're walking through. So can I say, or now I'm not going to ask, let me say, welcome to the church 2020. Welcome. Welcome to the church 2020, where the bride of Christ, the family of God, the people of God gather. And here it is. It's messy. Sometimes sloppy, sometimes failing, sometimes unfaithful, sometimes gossipy, sometimes hurtful, sometimes leadership failing, sometimes completely aloof, sometimes missing its very mission for its existence. Welcome to the church 2020, the bride of Christ. The groom, however, is never messy, never sloppy, never failing, never unfaithful, never gossipy, never hurtful, never leadership failing. He is never aloof, never missing the mission. He's the groom. Jesus Christ. Amazingly, God through the prophet Isaiah is prophesying of a day that he has ordained that his church is to be the deliverers of this joy. The delivery plan, the means to the lost dark world to deliver this message of Joy, good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ came. He came and he died for sinners and he rose from the grave and he ascended to the Father and he sent his spirit to live in us. This is the stuff of joy. This is where joy comes from. Not talking about happiness because happiness kind of deals more with kind of circumstantial. I'm talking about something deeper than just I feel good or I kind of feel happy. It's more than an emotional feel thing. It's rooted. It's deeper. It's in the middle of the horrific circumstances. They're for Pete's sake. They are exiles in Babylon. 2020 doesn't really compare to what we're reading about. But nonetheless, it is our 2020, right? Like, In the midst of 2020, we're delighting in God because he's delighting in you this morning. And that's shocking news to the sinner's ear. Christian, delight in the Lord because the Lord is delighting in you. How do you know that? Well, he redeemed you. (laughs) He redeemed you. It, It wasn't for the for the agony set before him. It wasn't for the, the pain set before him or the roll your eyes set before him. Hebrews, again, 12 tells us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. How, how, do, we, how do we run that race that's set before us? How do we run the marathon? 
We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Welcome to the wedding celebration. Your Redeemer is delighting over you. This delight we have in the Lord becomes our delight to live right there in the middle of the suffering. Whatever it is that you might be walking through this morning, whatever struggle it is that you might be beyond 2020, whatever the difficulties of life that come to you in the midst of the pain of this lost world, like all the junk of this world that we struggle with, that we, that we wrestle with, that, 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 that hurts us to, to, to view, to watch, to see a society walk out its darkness. There's a delight in the life of the believer. And that delight overflows into the world with joy among the joyless, hope among the hopeless, light among the darkness. But we too easily miss it in the exile. We, we lust to be like the surrounding nations, the world. We want more comforts. We want an easier life. Yes, we, we know that we need Jesus, and so we want Jesus too, but can I have my Jesus and all the comforts of this world? We want an easy Christianity, an easy believism, one in which it's light in involvement. One in which we kind of pat ourselves on the back just because we made it to church that Sunday. It's light on serving because it's just too inconvenient to serve. I'll serve, but not now. Not, not, not while all this is going on. Not in 2020. I mean, I'm just going to wait till after 2020 and then I'll get engaged. Friends. It's a great day to serve the Lord. 2020 is a great day to serve our God and King. Are we more influenced by the flesh or the gospel? Are we more driven by what will I have to sacrifice or what did he sacrifice? Are we more influenced by what will it cost me or by what it cost him? It's possible, church, to be religiously active, and in that activity, we're deceived. Deception lies in the religious activity. It's possible to know about his cross, which is not the same thing as knowing the cross. Embracing the life of the cross. We are a cross people. It's what we are. We are Christians saved because of the cross. We serve because of the cross. We give this morning because of the cross. We delight in him because of the cross. Number two, a vision for prayer. My last two points will be much shorter. Verse six, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set a watchman all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Commentators agree that verses six and seven are references to prayer. 
Here's vision, Isaiah style. Be the people of God. Be the church of Jesus Christ. Be that church. Let there be watchman-like praying going on in his church. What does that mean? What's, what's watchman-like prayer? It's, it's this. It's endless prayer. It's tireless prayer going on among his people until, right? How does he put and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. How long will we pray until that? <laughs> until our dying breath, we will pray. Let there be prayer in the church. Let there be endless praying until the final work of salvation and his righteousness has been made complete. Verses six and seven is calling the people of God to prayer, watchman-like prayer tireless prayer, never silent. What does it say? Middle of verse six, all the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. God, would you help us? Perhaps that reminds you of Luke chapter 11. It says, and I tell you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be open. Or perhaps it reminds you of the parable of the persistent widow. What's the point of the persistent widow? She was persistent. <laughs> That's the point of the parable. Be persistent in prayer. God calls us to pray, and then we pray, and then we pray, and then we pray, we pray. Will you be a praying person, and will you be a praying church? So will you pray individually, and will you pray together corporately, like watchmen, on the wall. It's through the means of prayer that God comes down and moves among his people, praying until God returns, until the nations praise him, or until I, you, die. We pray. Persistently, we pray. Recognize something about prayer. It's not convenient. Right? Like we, we look for, let me just find the convenient time to pray. How's that going? It's not convenient to pray. Let's stop looking for a convenient time to pray <laughs> and let's pray. Sunday morning, we are now, we've returned to our regular schedule, 9.15, we gather in the gathering room couple doors over, and we pray. We'll be there next Sunday. Come join us, and let's pray. But let me tell you something. It's not a convenient time. I get it. It's not a convenient time. I'd love to hear, right? Like, I, I, over the years, I've heard people say, well, if we could just do it at this time, and then we do it at that time, and that person doesn't come, right? Like, and that's my heart. I'm not saying that's, that's, that's you. That's, that's all of us. There's not a convenient time to pray. So we just landed on, you know what? Come to the building early 
Let's pray. This Wednesday is Magnify. Come to the building. Let's seek God's face together. Actually, I will be in another state on Wednesday, but the rest of you, come. It's not convenient Wednesday night. There'll be a hundred reasons why you shouldn't be here Wednesday night. Mine's pretty good. I don't have a flight back, all right? But for the rest of you, if you're in, if you're in the county, be here Wednesday night and let's pray. Let's be this watchman on the wall. And it's just so, I love it. It's, it's this, I will never be silent you put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And then it says, and give him no rest. That's in referring to, we will not rest in giving the Lord rest because we are gonna continue to bombard heaven's doors in prayer. We do not rest in prayer and we give the Lord no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Lord, help us. Number three, my best life is yet to come. It's yet to come. Verse eight, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give you grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about in the day, the loss of crops was just the regular routine. Invaders would come, the crops are gone. Invaders were come, the wine is gone. That was pre-exile life for the Israelites. So what's being spoken of here is the security of the Lord. That is no more. There will be no more invader stealing your crops. And he will launch from this place into your best life is not yet. It is not yet come. Don't you love this life? Like this life is a great life. It's, it's hard for me to get my, hat, my, my head wrapped around eternity. Why? Well, because we don't have any categories for eternity. <laughs> I think God's creation is worship stunning glory, and it's fallen. In its fallen state, Kim and I will be in mountains this week looking at amazing, changing leaves and going, wow, and it's fallen. It's a good life, but the best life is yet to come. Verse 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. It's basically clear a pathway for the gospel proclamation to be spoken and to be heard. Verse 11, look at the three beholds here. Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth. What will he proclaim? Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. All right, so the first behold is a proclamation. The second behold, this is what is proclaimed. Your salvation comes. The third behold, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. The craftsman or the craftswoman crafts something. 
he or she builds a piece of furniture, right? And then he or she goes and sells that handcrafted piece of furniture. And it's of such quality and such craftsmanship that that person then goes and they, what? They sell it. And that payment is the reward. Here's the point. The anointed one is the craftsman of your salvation. His saved people are both what he has earned and what he has accomplished. Your salvation is the Lord, the Lord's reward and his recompense. Did you get that? I said that way too fast. Verse 12, this is what you will now be called, and they shall be called the holy people. Time out. Wait, what? These people? Wait, these people? What are they going to be called? Because they were desolate. They were forsaken is what they were called. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. That is in perfect tense, which means it's definite. It is, it is complete. It is eternal. It's ongoing. This is your God. He's a good God. He's a gracious King. He is worthy of our worship. He's a good and gracious, worthy, worthy is our King. Are you delighting in your good and gracious King? who right now is delighting in you? You should, because he's given you every reason to delight in him. Because church, he is delighting in you. Let's stand together. Let's worship our God.